Again, turn in your Bibles, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. And yeah, as I'm getting into the series, like normal, I'm discovering how much I'm trying to, to chew and, and, and digest in a quick time. And so I want to I keep staying at a, high, a fairly high level. And, and I want to talk about a few things today that's coming up next. So we talked about the Beatitudes, of course, and we're, we're going to go through the, the chapters. We're just going to go through them again in, in larger chunks than I think they deserve. And so maybe there will be a time when we're going to slow that down. But Jesus' teaching, not only here, but actually throughout all of his teaching, and Matthew draws it out especially, is that his teaching is really about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the values, the priorities. And, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we talked last week, is not that he just, he wants to teach it. It's not that he wants you to just know these things. But Jesus taught about it, and then he demonstrated it by the way he lived. And so as, as followers, as his disciples, they not only would hear him talk about the kingdom of God, but they got to see it happen and unfold. And so wherever Jesus stepped and wherever Jesus walked, they got to see what the king does when he is in, in rulership, I guess, of the environment and how the king would treat people and how the king interacts with the world and the culture and evil. And they saw all these things. And, and he's called his disciples... <laughs> To be long in that kingdom and for us then as a church that because we're in the kingdom of heaven, we're part of the kingdom of God in this world, even though we're not in the kingdom world, we're in another kingdom, but we're under his rulership that where we walk, where we talk, where we experience that we can, we can follow Jesus in that direction and we learn from him not into just intellectually from what he's teaching, but then we realize that the Sermon on the Mount is very, very practical on what does it look like to have a good relationship with God? What does that look like? What does that experience? And so Jesus, of course, demonstrated that. And we'll look at it in the Sermon on the Mount. But throughout all of his time, he taught his disciples how to pray. He taught his disciples how to retreat and spend time with the Father. And then how does it look like to interact with each other, other followers? How does it look like to interact with um, the broken in the world that he, he went after. But how does it look like to actually interact with evil around as well? So we're going to see a lot of that in Jesus' teaching. But his teaching is kind of like the king's manifesto of the kingdom. And so it's not only that you just need to understand his teaching, but then I want you to read the book of Matthew. We've been reading it this summer. Go back and read it again and watch the kingdom at work in this world. But it's because we're called to live in it. In the midst of the world we find ourselves even today. So it's not a new rule book. It's not a new increase in the law. It's not new laws to follow. It's actions of what it looks like to follow the king. It's funny because last week I know I, I talked a little bit about what was going on in Israel and those kind of things. And so I did a little bit of study and a little bit more study on um, the Muslim faith and stuff like that. And one of the reasons that they... It's in the passage today, and I, don't, I think we're going to have to postpone it to next week, to be honest. But one of the reasons that Muhammad rejected Jesus as God's son was because he didn't bring about more law. He didn't bring about the law. And so they believed that the law was, there was going to be a new law. And so that's, that's not what Jesus did. He actually fulfilled the law, completed the law, and lived it out for display. And so we'll probably end up talking about that next week. It's in your notes, but I have a feeling, feeling we're not going to get there. So we want to talk about this first part, this whole idea of salt and light. Now, if you've been watching the news, like I mentioned last week, my goodness, it's, you know, it's not fun. It's, it's amazing what's going on in our world. And then you, you got this going on, you got a war going on, you got innocent people's lives being taken from them on all sides. And then in the midst of all that, we have this terror going on in Maine in the States and a shooter running around shooting people. And it's amazing when you watch the news. And then I don't know, I don't usually do this, but I was watching some, some of the politics and the government and all this stuff. And I'm not, I got to shut that off. I know that. But it's just so depressing watching evil run rampant. Watching corruption out in the open taking place. 
watching debt getting out of control, watching attacks on the family and our children and biblical morality. Everything good and right seems to be under attack. We live in a culture that seems to be accelerating in evil, accelerating in destruction of the moral fabric of what we hang on to. So where is the hope in this world? Where is it come from? Where do you go to find it? It's not, it's not just so you know, it's not on TV. The more you spend there, the more hopeless you feel. Where is the, the bright spot? Where is the hope? Where is it found? And so when we look for that answer, we come to this text, we recognize that Jesus is saying, look, there is going to be hope in this world. There is going to be light in this world. And it's going to be the people who follow me. And so today is, a, in a sense, an easy read or an easy intellectual understanding. But it's a whole other level of challenge of what does it look like for us to be light and salt. So I want to read it to you in Matthew chapter 5. But I want to start back on the last beatitude that we kind of went through quickly and for a good reason. I want you to listen to it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, so the joy of the Lord will come to you when people insult you or persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Of course, they're going to persecute you. And Jesus said they hated me. We'll talk about this. They're going to hate you. For what? Why is all this anger? Why is all this persecution? Why is this going to come? And it's, it's not a coincidence that he moves from this last beatitude of here's what's going to look like, but don't worry about it. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, in the kingdom, when you follow me, you will experience these things. Because you are called to be different in this world. And guess what? The world does not like different. You are called to be a light, and darkness does not like light. You are called to be good, and evil does not like good. And so if we're going to follow him in the kingdom, if we're going to do that, we have to know that we are expecting that the world is going to reject what we are called to do. So he says, but don't worry about it because you will receive joy in the kingdom of heaven because of this. But to expect it. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill that cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why salt? Why light? Why are these the things? I think it's, why salt? Because the world needs salt because it's corrupt. It's rotting. And salt is the essence of what was used in that day to prevent things from rotting. And so in a rotting culture, in a culture that is evil, in a culture that is degrading, it needs salt. Why light? Because the world is a dark, dark place. And it's only getting darker. You know, it's amazing with all the advances, all the advances of the world. Like, I think about the generation. I feel special. I've got to admit, I feel special. I think my age is really unique and special. I'm going to make myself sound old, and some of you are going to say, you're not. And some of you are going to say, oh, yes, we all know. Um, so, but I, I, I'm really unique. I feel like my age, like if you're close to my age, it's amazing what I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, I've seen, I remember our first, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. So this younger crowd, so just 
I'm not that old. That's all I want to say already. But anyways, the TVs were huge. I mean, huge, huge. Black and white, huge. And knobs. And like each channel, clunk, clunk, clunk. And rabbit ears and all that stuff. It's true. I was alive then. And that has changed in color. And I remember our first color big TV. And I was so, so excited. It was so expensive. It was so heavy. You know, how to get it into our house. And microwaves, I have to admit, they didn't exist when I was a kid. Microwaves. Wow, what an invention. It's incredible. Think about those things. The internet is true. I'm older than Google. Like, it didn't exist. Cell phones didn't exist. I mean, I remember I was, when I was like, I think Denise knows this better than me. She remembers dates and times. But like 18, and I got a car phone. What a stupid invention that was. This big clunky thing you had to plug into your lighter. And it was only good if your car was on and you were driving. Now you're not even allowed to touch your phone when you're driving. But that was the only time it was any good. Didn't have any battery. You shut your car off. No one could call you. What a dumb invention that was. But I had one because it was so cool. And then cell phones and now the internet on yourself. I remember, I remember the first texts. I remember that, you know, click, 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 click three times on that letter, four times on that letter, three times on that. I remember sending like, hi, and someone replying, being like, <clears throat> never thinking that would change the way I communicate. Who would do that? Email. I mean, I am old. All of these things. Now, I mean, electric cars, flying cars, they exist. Little drones that passenger people around. You know, cars are driving around today without people driving them, taking them places. Yes, it's true. One ran over someone last week, I heard, in California, and they banned it now. But not, not a good start. But amazing stuff. And then there's AI. Like, Chat GP. I mean, it writes all my sermons for me now, so it's amazing. <laughs> well, look, all of that advancement has not advanced the human heart one bit. We are just as evil, if not more evil today, just as corrupt, just as relationally a mess. And so when you look at the scriptures and you look at the, the evil heart of man and what it does, it's no different. In fact, it's just sometimes it feels worse because we're better at covering it. And so light exposes it. And that is not a good day when evil gets exposed for what it is. But our world does not become better. Our, our intellect, our abilities, our creativity, and all these things seem to just be firing like crazy. And all of this invention that we can do, all of those things just get twisted and turned into more evil. In ways to accomplish more evil. The internet, probably designed for good. Cell phone, designed for good. You know, all these technologies, all designed for good things, get twisted in this world, in a corrupt, dark world, for making evil more and more rampant. We cannot solve, in all of our wisdom, the problem of evil in this world. Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, and clearly stated in Mark 7 that it comes from inside of the person. That's what defiles us. That's the problem with our heart. And our heart is corrupt and it's wicked and, and from within us comes sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and malice and deceit and lewdness and envy and slander and arrogance, folly. All of this evil, he said, comes from inside the person. And so the answer that we'll get to next week about why is he just talking about the Sermon on the Mount? Because he's actually, why is he talking about this law? And then he talks about, yeah, but it's not just that. It's not just don't kill. It's you can't be angry. And it's not don't just do adultery. It's actually about lust. And it actually is meant to raise you to the point of going, we are in trouble if it's that bad. It is that bad, Jesus taught. It's in us. We can't behave our way out of this mess. We have a problem. And yet we are called to be like him in this world. We are called to be different. Salt. Well, salt. I mean, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I, I've listened to a lot of sermons on this. And, you know, it's great. 
and it's pretty simple, so I'll say some of those things in case you like tidbits is really what they are. Well, salt was really valuable, and it, and it has been for thousands of years. Not so much now. It's, not, it's really cheap, actually. I bought a bunch of it lately to kill weeds. Um, pretty cheap stuff. But it used to be very expensive. And, in fact, it was one of the common trades that, the, that Romans used and the Greeks used, and they would pay their soldiers with it. And so that's where the saying comes, like, they're not worth their salt, <laughs> was like they used to pay them in salt, and so if you were lousy at your job, well, you weren't worth your pay. You weren't worth your salt. We still say those things. We don't understand. But it was so valuable because it, it played such an important role. I mean, there was no fridges, no, you know, keeping your meat. So if you had meat, I mean, you had to have salt. You had to have it preserved. I mean, you had to make flavors, and, and so that was a big deal. And salt was so expensive, and you get all different kinds of it. And salt, of course, creates thirst. And so we're called to be salt. We're called to say, this world is corrupt. But Jesus says, but, but that's why you're to be sprinkled into the world, that you're supposed to be in the world to help preserve it from going bad. We're salt because we understand what life is about. Jesus came and said, I'm going to give you life and to abundance. We're called to bring the flavor of life. Hope, joy. And so when people are experiencing no hope, no joy in life, they should see us and go, why does your life look so engaging, hopeful, joyful? Because we are salt. They're supposed to notice there's something different about the way we live. Our life is supposed to create thirst for people around us. They're supposed to look at us and get thirsty for what we have. That's why we're supposed to be prepared to tell people why we have hope. Be prepared to tell people why you have hope. Because the expectation is if you live this way that Jesus is calling us to live, people are going to be so thirsty to know what it is about you. What's different? And they'll have a thirst for the kingdom of God. So salt plays a role. I was reading... I don't know which book this is actually from. I wrote it down a while ago, and I come across it often. It says, if there's rottenness in the world, the blame should be placed where it belongs. Not on the world that is rotting, but on the church, which isn't salting it enough to stop it from going bad. One of the things that always kind of, you know, frustrates me a bit is, you know, we get mad when the government makes decisions and, and passes bills and those kind of things. And, and I know, you've, we've, I, I get the same feeling. We've got to go out there and scream and yell about it and picket it. But I, I think what it's saying is, like, it's our day-to-day -day life. We're not, we're not salting the world around us. Our culture is not experiencing our difference, and so it's going bad. It's because we're not being the salt in the world around us. Now, salt, you know, was, it's an interesting phrase that Jesus uses about, you know, if it goes unsalty. Well, salt can't go unsalty. It, it can't. I've tried to research it every which way. I mean, they, the only people say is, yeah, if you dilute it in water enough, it doesn't. But the idea is simply that salt, of course, was, you know, it was, it was in big bags and those kind of things and hauled around. And, and the thing is, if it, if it falls off and it got breaks open or salt spills, it gets contaminated with dirt and on the ground and, be honest, feces and stuff like that. And if the salt is, becomes contaminated, then it's useless. It's no good for salt. So you just trample under your foot. It just becomes part of the road. That's how salt was transported. And so for us, it's the same thing. If we, you know, if we're salt, but we become contaminated and we just get messed up with everything around us, then we're not good for anything. And so the problem with us, I think, on this is sometimes we want to make great, you know, declarations or we want to make statements to the government. We want to scream and yell about some stuff. But if we are a contaminated people, if our lives aren't different, then our words are meaningless. It doesn't matter. If the church hasn't been the salt of the world, then we can't scream and yell because it actually becomes useless to those who hear, and they just look at our lives and go, well, you're no different. There's no difference. You just want your way. 
So there's no appreciation for the salt. It can't be salty in the community. It can't be salty in the culture. It's useless when it gets contaminated. John 17, Jesus said this, I have given them your word. So he's praying to his father. Sorry, give you context. He's praying to his father. And he says, I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world, just as I don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So make them holy by your truth. In other words, holy is set apart. Make them salt. Make them different. Make them set apart for me. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them in the world. As Jesus went, we're called to follow. We're called to go. 1 John, the beginning of the book of John, the gospel of John, John declares that Jesus is light. That he was life and he was the light of mankind. And that light shines in darkness. And the darkness can't overcome it. He describes Jesus as light. And now he calls us, in this next passage, you are the light. Now light is very extremely important. Light is everything. We're used to light. Light, of course, in our culture is accessible and easy. <laughs> you know, just turn on the switch. But again, in Jesus' culture, light was, light was life. I mean, you need light or you can't function. There's nothing you can do in the darkness. The darkness overwhelms and you can't function. You can't do anything. You needed light. Light exposes, so whenever you've lost something or you can't find something, what you do, I do all the time, is like, reach for the light. Bring me a light. I need to see light. Light exposes what's hidden. It helps you find things, find the truth. Light protects. You know, one of the things that we have is light. So when we're in, in Honduras, you know, we, we, we're developing the land and everything else, and the first thing we have to do is get light onto the property. You want to protect what you're investing. You got to protect. You have to have light. So of course, light protects. I remember when we were in uh, when we were in Africa, and and I was with some youth, and we went on a trip there, and they said, "Okay, it's dark out. You cannot walk anywhere in the dark here without a light. It's dangerous." And we're thinking lions, like ah, freaking out, you know, scorp, you know, got all these things. They're like, "No, this is scorpions." Because they scurry in the dark. And what will happen is you're, it's hot, so you're wearing sandals or you're wearing light shoes. And you'll step on them and their stinger will come over and get you. And those scorpions are nasty and those can kill you. So you need light. And I remember it was like light. Like you didn't take a step. It was like after you hear that, it was crazy. Light. Light protects. It exposes what's in the dark. Light brings hope. You ever been in those spots where you just can't wait for morning? My wife experiences it every time we go tenting. She can't handle it. I mean, she can't sleep. She just waits and waits and waits. And I just can't wait till morning. I just can't go to sleep. I can't sleep. I just can't wait till I can see light. Every creak, every branch that falls, every crack outside, it's like panic. Light. I just want the light to come back. Because the light, I can see. I'm safe. It protects. It guides. It helps me see What's going on? Light is everything. Psalmist says, joy comes in the morning. Weeping comes at night in the dark. Bad happens at night, but light brings joy. You know, what's funny about lights. I mean, have you ever noticed, like, I, I don't have it with me. <laughs> I shouldn't have it with me. My cell phone, if I held it up right now and I, you know, looked at the screen, it would be, normal, fine, you wouldn't go, ah, but have you ever, like, had your phone go off in the middle of the night when it's completely dark, and then you turn it towards your face, and then you light it up, and you feel like your retinas are being burned out of your skull? It's, it's the same light, but what's the difference? It's the darkness. 
Remember how, like, I remember my parents, uh, they were watching, I'm sure. They, they moved into this place where they had a, it's really a crawl space, and they turned the basement into, into a bedroom. And I, I'm usually fine with that kind of stuff. That's great, but that means no windows or anything like that. And they created a bedroom in there, and, and I went, went to go to sleep and went in there, and I, I shut off the light. And, I mean, they had just moved in. There was nothing. I was literally doing, like, I can't, I've never been somewhere so dark. I cannot see, I cannot see my hand. Like, it was really weird. Have you ever been that dark of dark? Doors were shut, complete dark. So I remember thinking, you know, well, I need a light, and, but I didn't have one. And then I, I plugged in a charger. And I remember all of a sudden waking up in the middle of the night, and this burning little red light was so bright. I was like, oh, like, shut that off. But in the daytime, I couldn't even see it. So it's not that we have to go out into the world and, you know, try to, like, shine and shine and shine. It's that, it's that the light in us, we're talking about a world that's getting darker, a culture that's getting darker, evil that's expanding. You need to know that a small light in a very dark place is very bright. It's not the immense light that makes it bright it's the immense darkness that makes it bright and so we have an opportunity as a follower of Jesus Christ we can look at the world around us and go my goodness it's going downhill it's so dark it's so evil it's so bad but you can rejoice in that and say that means the light that is in us The hope of the gospel, the hope of the kingdom will become extremely bright. But you need to know what Jesus said, and it's why it's connected. The world doesn't like the brightness when they're in the darkness. Maybe you've experienced that in your neighborhoods or your workplaces or in your families. It's part of it. We're called to be light. It exposes things that sometimes people don't want to be exposed. Sometimes they just feel bad when they're in your midst. They're grumpy and they're apologizing for everything. And you're like, I'm not even saying anything. Light is extremely important. If there's darkness, the blame should be attached to where it belongs again. Not to the world that is dark, but to the church, which is us. Every time you hear church, I hope you're hearing us now which is failing to provide light. This is where it said in John 1, in him was life and that life was light to all mankind. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then Jesus said this later, John records, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And I read that and thought, that's awesome. And then I went, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, when I'm in the, while I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. But then he turned to his disciples and said, I'm leaving now. And I'm sending you to be what I was in the world. You are now the light in the world. We can't shirk that responsibility. It's what being asked of us to do. While he was in the world, he shone a great light. And that's what the, the prophets said would happen. That's what the disciples recorded, that he was such a great light. And that brightness is actually our responsibility in the world as well. Now, when Paul talks about this later on in 1 Corinthians, sometimes people read passages of scriptures and they just take chunks out. But I want you to understand this passage of scripture because this is where we're going to have to apply this eventually. Paul says, I wrote to you in a letter that you weren't supposed to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he has to clarify this because what they understood was they said, oh yeah, look, those bad, evil, dark people out there. We're not supposed to associate with them. He goes, oh, you misunderstood me. So his letter here, he's trying to clarify. He's saying, look, I did not mean the people of the world (laughs) who are immoral and greedy, swindlers, adulterers. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. He's like, I didn't... You misunderstand. You're the light of the world. I'm not telling you not to not associate with those types of people. What he clarified later, if you want to go and read it, he says, what you got to do is not associate with the people who claim to be light but live in darkness. That's a totally different thing. Don't associate with people who say that they're actually a light to the world who say that they're actually followers of Jesus Christ, but don't live it out. Don't associate with those people. 
But please be light to the people who need it, those in the world. It's very, very clear that we are called to be a light in a very dark place. Now, there's a natural temptation, and I think this is why the last beatitude is about persecution, and then he, exp- he actually explains it a little bit more and pulls it about more. There is a natural tendency, I do believe this, for us to avoid to stand out as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in the world. There is a natural tendency for us to avoid being shiny, <laughs> avoid being salt, avoid make being different. The temptation of the evil one is blend in, hide, hide. But Jesus says, you don't do that when you have a light. When you have a light, you don't hide it. Why would he say that? Because there's a temptation to do that. Because when you're a light, there's people that are going to have resistance. You're going to have persecution. People are going to say false things about you. They're going to try to tarnish your light. They want to take the light out. He says, that's what's going to happen. So there's going to be a temptation. You know what? I'm, I'm at work or I'm in my neighborhood or in my family, and I'm just not going to be light. They don't like it. No, they don't, Jesus said. They don't like it. You will be persecuted for being light and for being salt in your world. But don't hide it. Don't hide it. Don't suppress it. Allow it to be there. You must be it. Jesus said in John 15, the world would love you if you were one of its own. It would. It would accept you. It would embrace you. It will say things to you. Just be you. You're good the way you are. You don't have to change. It would embrace you. Evil embraces evil. Selfishness embraces selfishness. They pat you on the back. Jesus said the world would accept you as one of its own, but you're not. And if you're not part of this world... It hates you. It hates you. There are some that are looking for light, though. I was in, I, I was watching, <laughs> sounds like I, I, I do. My, I gotta be careful. My daughter is one of those uh, justice truth tellers. So if you wanna know the truth about me, just go talk to her. She'll tell you everything. So I was gonna say, it sounds like I watch TV a lot. I actually, I was sick at home all week. So literally, I, I was watching videos and sermon, all, they kind of laugh at me. I'm sitting on the couch, and they'll go away for three hours, and I'm still there, and I'm like, sorry. And partly research, partly I, I'm ADHD, I think, so I'm off on tangents. But I was watching, um, what's fascinating to me is some influencers, maybe as comedians or rock stars or all those people, I, I could care less about them, to be honest. They don't really influence me a lot. But what I have noticed is how many of them are actually being drawn towards Jesus right now. And so I was watching one who, he's a comedian, and I remember stumbling upon him like, I don't know, probably five, six years ago. And he was funny, but he was new age. And it was really disturbing, but he was funny. And I remember watching some of his videos because he just mocks politics and stuff. And his name is J.P. Spears, if you've ever watched any of his stuff. And all of a sudden, he was being interviewed by some Christians on this video, and, it, and the title of it was, I've accidentally become Christian. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I got I to gotta figure out this, what's happening. And he said, so he explained, they said, well, how does this happen to somebody who's new age? How does this happen to somebody who's, you know, spiritual but not religious? And how does this happen? He goes, he goes, really, the truth is I've just noticed how evil the world has been getting. And he says, the world wants to, in, wants to embrace everybody who just accepts it for what it is. And he says, for those that see evil, for actual being evil, he says, you have a natural tendency then to go the opposite direction. And he said, what's in the opposite direction of darkness? Light. He said, so the more that I realized what evil was and I could see the darkness, the more light became light. And I accidentally become a Christian. <laughs> By running, really, he didn't say these words, by running from evil towards the light. And I find truth there. And it's amazing it's happening in a world where it gets darker, it is true. It is true that those that understand and are aware of the darkness, they naturally are drawn to the light. And so now he's doing an interview. And of course, listening to him, his theology is not all there yet, which is fine. But it's fascinating to watch. To watch people who never intended 
to be drawn to Jesus who are now drawn to Jesus. We are called to be light and to be salt. And I want to end with the reality hard part. And I'll probably stir some pots, and that's okay. I don't think I'm telling you what to do or not to do, but I think it's important to wrestle with the actual realities of living in a corrupt and dark world. The challenge is really hits in the home. And I tell you, me and Denise often say we're so relieved that our kids are at least out of school. <laughs> I mean, it really, the challenge is hits in the home. What do we do if Jesus is calling us to be light and salt in a dark, corrupt world? How do we maintain our children's safety and protection? And it really hits home. And I, I remember when our kids were young and the big debate was, do you homeschool? Do you Christian school? Do you do public school? And I, I remember I, I, I've grown up, my, my dad taught as well and preached the gospel really well. And so I, I was pretty adamant. And Denise, thankfully, was on board. And we're like, our kids are called to be light. There's about to be light in the school. And so why would we send them off to be a bunch of lights all in one place when they could be light in their world? And, and so we, you know, sent them off into the public school. And in those years, we started realizing, like, wow, some, some of this is, is darker, and will it snuff out the light? You know, and that's the real challenge. And so I remember us having to pray a lot and discern and and we actually had to look at each kid uniquely and individually. It was very different. And our cookie-cutter approach and understanding all of a sudden was messy and, and difficult. And each kid was very unique and different and, and what kind of light they brought to the table and what kind of ways that they, they would get kind of lose their saltiness or not. And so each kid, we ended up doing something a little bit different for everyone. And I remember our, one of our, our, our kids was, you know, we saw their friends and the darkness of their friends and the homes in which he was going in and having sleepovers and everything else. And we made a decision to remove them from that and say, you know what, we're making a call. You can't be friends with these people anymore. And not a happy camper, that kid. And we're going to move you from this school to this school. And not a happy camper. And I remember, but I've had conversations with my child at this point. He says, that was, you were right. It was bad. You didn't know how bad it was, but it was bad. And so many of those kids that he hung out with are really, really in trouble. And so I'm not giving you a simple answer. What I'm saying is, look, we live in a world where being salt and light is our calling, but it also takes wisdom and discernment. And so those decisions are not to be taken lightly. I've also seen parents, though, that trust an environment, and they, they let their kids go into what they see as a Christian environment. And I've had a kid in that environment who's come home and said, if you want bad stuff, it's there. It hides a lot easier there because everyone assumes good things. It's not good there. And so what I'd say as a parent in the family is wisdom, discernment, prayer, involvement. Be involved. Walk with your children and be attentive as spiritual guardians of your families. I don't have the right answer for you, but I would say in a dark, dark world, we're called to be light, but we don't need to sacrifice our children I want to give one other thing, though, because I also think there's another thing, which sometimes then we, we do what Jesus says, we're just going to cover up the light. And so we hide, and we hide that in community. Sometimes we hide that amongst ourselves. And so we withdraw, and we just say, let's just keep ourselves safe. We have to know that keeping ourselves safe as a church or as a community, as a small group, or as an individual, and not having contact or friends or involvement in the dark world out there, but just saying, we're just stay together, protect ourselves, and stay safe, does not keep the world from becoming more corrupt and evil. We're called to be in, and so we have this tension. I, um, <laughs> I called a friend into buying a pet store once, so... That was exciting because I love pets. And, uh, and he bought a pet store. It meant I could order things. and So that was great. Um, and so we had, uh, we had fish tanks, a lot of fish tanks. And my goodness, like disease, those, those fish, like most of the fish that show up 
at the pet store in bags. Like half of them are already dead. You don't need to know that. But they're so cheap that it's like whatever. And then you put the live ones in the tank. And, and we were really proud of ourselves because we, we try to keep our fish alive to sell, of course. So that's a big challenge. And you keep your tanks clean and all that kind of stuff. And you're always keeping up. And, you know, and if they come in and they're sick and diseased, then you treat them. And you quarantine that tank and everything else. So the other, and, and, you, and you really have to work at this. It's a, it's a lot of work, more than we anticipated. And then this, this large pet store moved into town and just started taking over the whole, like, <laughs> the business of all these little, like, small pet stores. It was a huge, huge pet store. So we went in as spies. <laughs> and I remember going there, and we were going in to see what are they doing and how is this working for them. And everyone's talking about how healthy their fish are and everything. I thought, man. And they had a shark in a large tank, so that was exciting. It was like brought people in. So we went in as spies, and I remember walking around, and we were trying not to be like, wow, this is, this is pretty impressive. Um, no wonder I'd shop here too. I remember saying that to him. He was not too happy about that. But then we looked closer at the tanks, and we recognized something was happening. We are like, what are you doing here? Like the water from this tank would get poured into this tank, and that one into this tank, and that one into this tank. And we thought, aha, we got them. They are, have one massive filtration system for all their tanks. So we thought, okay, so that means if they get a diseased fish, they're all going to get diseased. So we're like, oh, we're just going to wait for the day for them all to die. We were young, <laughs> a little sadistic. And so I remember I went back again a couple times because I really liked the pets. It was a nice store. <laughs> and, uh, but we talked to someone and we thought, well, we're going to just let them know that we're smart people. So I said to them, hey, you know what, by the way, you know, this might work right now, but this isn't going to work for you. Because all your tanks, your, your water goes between all your tanks, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it goes through all our tanks. I said, so what happens if they get diseased? Oh, no, we fixed that. There's no disease. There's no disease. Well, our filtration system kills all bacteria. And so as it comes through, we got UV light system and everything else, and it kills all bacteria. I thought, wow, now that's amazing. They're smarter than we thought. But sure enough, in a few weeks, the rumors started coming out. People started coming back to the pet store. And they said, you know, we were going there, you know, the prices were great and everything else, and our fish, and, and they looked really healthy. We put them in our tank, but within a couple of weeks, they'd always die. And it was always, they gave a 10-day 10 10 day guarantee, and it was like two weeks, three weeks, and they'd always die. And I finally couldn't figure it out, and so we got a lot of business back all of a sudden, and I started researching it. Oh, the problem is this. They were overprotecting their fish. And they're overprotecting them, getting rid of all disease, all contamination. And so when you would take this pure little fish home and you'd put it in your dirty bacteria-filled tank, which is normal, it would get instantly sick because it had no defense mechanism for the disease around it. And they would die and die and die and die and die and they wouldn't stay alive. And so where am I going with this? I think sometimes we get confused and we think if we can just isolate ourselves or isolate our kids or isolate our small group or isolate our church from the evil around and we just keep ourselves really clean and we don't we won't interact with the evil, don't interact with the world out there and we just protect ourselves and eventually that will work. But here's the thing. Eventually you're going to have to interact with the evil out there. Eventually you're going to be exposed to darkness. Eventually corruption is going to come your way. And if you haven't learned the defense mechanism, if you haven't learned how to be light or salt, in a world that is not perfect, it will take you out really quick. And so, yes, you can homeschool your kids, and I'm not, I'm not anti that anymore. In fact, I've said to my wife, my goodness, if I had kids right now, that would probably be one of the options we would do. But even if you do that, understand that you cannot completely protect them. Eventually, eventually they're going to have to interact with evil and darkness. And if they do not know how to survive to be light instead of letting the darkness overcome them, they will be taken out. We are not meant to be isolated unto ourselves. We're meant to be in the world. And that is scary. And that is dangerous. And here's the thing, you're not meant to do it by yourself. So Jesus did two things for us that's very important, and we need to figure it out. One is he gave us community. Christian, safe community. You do need it. You do need a place to be safe and honest, truthful, 
And you need that environment to protect you and to pray for you and encourage you and build you up, not attack and take you down, help you recover. And the other thing is you need the Holy Spirit active in your life. You need to learn to listen, to navigate that world. You cannot go out there with the Holy Spirit Jesus told his disciples, I'm sending you out into the world, you're going to be light, you're going to be salt, and you're going to go do that. But here's the thing, don't leave until the Spirit comes. You can't do it. And so we need to be people who are not just going out there to be truth bombing out there or anything like that. We need to be interactive in our world, but we need to be rooted in community so we can come back and we can be built up and rebuilt up and prayed for and encouraged. But we need to be people who follow the Spirit's leading into the world. You cannot be more strong than the evil in this world. He's placed you into community for a reason. And he's given you a spirit for a reason. So as a church, we're called to stay focused on Jesus. That means he's, gonna, he's going to lead us into the world. If you're focused on him, he's going to lead you into the world to be salt and light. There's no way around it. But we need to build community. Because without community, we're alone. And when you're alone, the enemy can destroy you. And then we'll impact our world. And so I'm going to close with this. And i got to admit, I'll be honest with you, Halloween is bothering me more and more and more the older I get. So if you're older than me, I can understand your concern. <laughs> It bothers me. It bothers me. I've never, you know, I, I'm always amazed in the neighborhood how, how much people love to celebrate this thing. I, it's disturbing. It's, more than, it's like more than Christmas. It's more than anything else. Like it's crazy over the top. I get that. But I want you to know why then would we, why, why then would we do such a thing? Because it's a very dark evening. We know that. We know in this evening, we know in this week, there's people looking forward to doing evil. We know that there's, there's going to be all kinds of chaos probably in the world around us. We know that. And so what I, I suggest, and I, I think my parents taught me this as well, is, you know, there's different approaches for sure. And I'm not, I don't want to judge, sound judging. You'll feel judged, I'm sure. But I don't want you to feel bad. But there's different approaches. And I remember through my whole life we had people doing this. There's people who would, you know, shut off all their lights and hide in the basement and hope that no one rings their doorbell and, you know, hide. And, and my parents were like, no, like we want to give the best candy on the block. You know, we want all the kids coming here because we're safe, because we're light. We want them interacting with us. We don't want them to go off to all the people celebrating evil. Oh, man, and so part of what we're doing as a church is we're just opening our parking lot up to be a safe place full of light in the midst of this night. We know it's not a night that we should celebrate. But here's the thing. It's not his day. It's not the enemy's day. It is the day the Lord made. And we can't let him have one. And so because it's a dark time, it means our light can be brighter. It really does. And I'm encouraged. I've heard of people doing this in a congregation. And I've heard of other people do it. And they become warming stations in their neighborhood. They become people that greet the kids and the families as they go up in the street because they love Jesus. And that's what we're just doing here, just so you know, in case you're wondering. We're not celebrating this evil. We're actually trying to be a light, a safe place for people to come. And so I'm not trying to guilt you to come. And do it, but that's why we do it. You want to come, and we're going to have a great time of community, and we're going to actually be a place where hopefully the kids can come and they trust that they will be loved here. So that's why we do that. To be salt and light in our community is so important, and there's little ways you can do it. It can be little lights, little lights, not hard. I remember I, this week I was, I was following, ever been part of Facebook groups? Again, horrible waste of time. People were so nasty and so mean, and and, and now there's ways I didn't, posting anonymously. Whenever you see anonymously posted, it's like, oh, it's probably nasty. I was going across a, a part of a Costco group, and, and uh, this guy posted, and the, the title of the post is something like, I finally been robbed at Costco, and oh, everyone was reading it and everything else. And I started reading it, and I could feel a different tone. He was being lighthearted, and he started talking about this criminal that he encountered, and just started describing him as a four-year-old. Five year, four to five year old, tall, you know, dark, <laughs> and uh, he stole my fries right out of my cart as I was walking, and, and uh, be on the lookout for parents that are inattentive and a young child on the look for food, and he was just being really lighthearted, and then at the end he was just being gracious and just I would have gave him more, you know, and the, what a cute kid kind of thing, 
And I, I read that and I thought, this guy's a believer. This is light. I mean, if this was darkness, it would be, these dumb parents, can't they look after their kids? And he took my food. Because I guess the kid came, grabbed some fries, felt he got away with it. So he came back and grabbed like oh, two handfuls. So he describes the whole story. And sure enough, I was able, he didn't hide his name. So I looked him up. And I don't even know, I'm not going to give his name. I don't even remember his name. I looked him up. And the first thing I could see in all his posts was, this is a believer in Christ. And you could tell he never once mentioned Jesus. But there was something that was light there. And I was like, I sense the light. And so it doesn't take a ton for us to be light when things are pretty dark. It just takes us to follow Jesus, listen to the Spirit, and step into these opportunities. So I'm praying he gives us courage and wisdom to do that. And wisdom to do that with our families. And wisdom to how to do that with our children. So I want to end with that. I want to end and pray with our families again at this time as we do this as well. Heavenly Father... Oh, you, you could do it. I mean, we look at you and we see what you're able to do. And then to feel like you call us to do what you did is sometimes overwhelming. So often I want to hide the light. I want to hide truth. I don't want to speak up. I don't want to, I don't want to stand out. I just want, to, just want to fit in for that minute, that moment. <laughs> Whether I'm at the hairdressers or I just, I'm, I don't want to be light all the time and I confess that to you. But you've given us a responsibility to live in the kingdom and it's bright light in a dark, dark world. And so I pray you give us each wisdom. What does that look like as we navigate our work, as our neighborhood, as, as we go in our community? How does this look for parents when they're making decisions on their, their kids' friends and, and if their friends should be with these friends or not or be in this school or not or this teacher? And all these things, are these are real decisions of real tension. I pray you would just pour out your wisdom and your spirit upon these families who desire to follow you. Teach them to be wise, you said. Wise and tame and gentle like doves. Heavenly Father, we just want to honor you in this world. We know it's becoming a dark place, but would you help us know our role and our place? In Jesus' name, amen.